0: So what is the sweetest thing you have ever heard? What's the sweetest thing you've ever heard? Maybe the sweetest thing you've ever heard is the heartbeat of of your baby on a little little Doppler monitor in the doctor's office. Maybe the the sweetest thing you've ever heard is is that newborn's first little coos and and giggles. They're just so cute. They're little, little sighs. Maybe the sweetest thing you've ever heard is the first time your grandchildren called you grandma or grandpa or, or gaga or papa or, or Mimi or Pop or, or Nana or Big Joe or Mugga or whatever it is that they call you. You know? Maybe the sweetest thing you've ever heard is when somebody said, Hey, you made an A, or hey, you made the team, or hey, you're hired, or hey, you're you're being promoted. Maybe the sweetest thing you've ever heard is, is truly connected to the word sweet. You, you just get excited. Hey, they, I heard they're, they're bringing a new Pelicans to town. Hey, they're, they're bringing a new Starbucks. Hey, they're bringing a new Harbor Freight Tools or whatever, you know, whatever your thing is. Maybe your excitement is all about victory. You get excited when you hear the sweet words bingo or Yahtzee or Uno or Cubs win, Cubs win. Or maybe... You're even more strategic than that, and and the sweetest thing that you've ever heard is when the waitress says, yes, sir, you can order an extra side of bacon. Maybe maybe that's just what satisfies your life. This morning, we begin a journey through one of the most well-known songs in the history of the world, a song written by a king named David that has had an impact on billions of lives over 3,000 years. Henry Ward Beecher said this about King David's song It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains and led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master. And consoled those whom dying he left behind mourning, not so much that he was gone as because they were left behind and could not go to. It will go singing to your children and my children and to their children through all the generations of time, nor will it fold its wings till the last pilgrim is safe and time ended. And then... It shall fly back to the bosom of God, whence it issued and sound on, mingled with all those sounds of celestial joy which make heaven musical forever. That's a song. That's an amazing song. It's a song that has to have a lot of sweet words. But how? How can six sentences with with about 120 words have that kind of impact? over so many for so long, and still be alive and well? How can one song have that impact? Well, we're going to do our best to find out. Listen to Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. In a sense, those five words can change your life, can change your attitude, and can change your eternity. Now, someone might say, well, (laughs) that sounds silly. How can words do that? How how can words change your life? How can words change your eternity? Well, it's because of the main subject of these words. That's why that change can happen. And the main subject is is not me and the main subject is not you. So we're going to unpack these five words so that we can see exactly what we have here. And we'll start with the first two, the Lord. About 3,400 years ago, there was a shepherd. His name was Moses. He was out in the wilderness with his flock. They were trying to find some, some tufts of grass, and, and he looked over on the side and he saw a bush, and the bush was burning. But the bush didn't burn down to the ground. He didn't understand it. It was, it was on fire, it was flaming, but the bush just just stood there and just took the fire, and nothing changed. And so he wanted to know exactly what this was. So so he went over and got a little closer. And when he was over closer to this burning bush, a, a voice from heaven spoke very clearly to him. And the voice said this, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now why did God give himself that introduction to Moses? Well, Moses needed to understand he wasn't just... Listening to a hip podcast of some charismatic preacher from over at the wilderness megachurch. Now he he needed to know that the one true infinite creator God was speaking to him. So from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and now to Moses, God had been revealing himself. God had been making covenants. He had been making promises. So for about 1,500 years, and even all the way back to the garden, God had been letting his truth and his ways be known. People were finding out about him. He was not hiding. And all of this time, every covenant, every promise that God made, he kept. He perfectly kept. And so Moses, standing by this burning bush, Moses listening to this voice, he needed to know that behind this voice, behind this burning bush, was the one who was true and proven and faithful and real. Listen, we live in a world today where there are are a lot of gods. There's a lot of things and people that are worshipped in our culture. But the Lord... Yahweh has never wavered in all of His communications to all of the world all of the time that He alone is the one true God. And throughout the ages, He continues to affirm and prove His character, His nature, and His presence in all that He does. And nowhere has He made His presence more known, more lovingly, and more graciously than in the manger and on the cross and through the empty tomb. God has made his presence known most beautifully and most powerfully through the person and the work of Jesus the Christ. Tim Keller says this, Everybody has to live for something. Whatever that something is becomes Lord of your life, whether you think of it that way or not. Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely. And if you fail him, will forgive you eternally. That's the gospel. That's the, the beauty of the gospel. And yet still, many hear that and they reject it. Many reject and deny the existence of God. They reject the person and the work of Jesus. Os Guinness has an interesting way to try to draw us into a, a conversation of trying to at least understand that we must deal with the existence of God. And he uses baseball umpires as a way to help. It goes like this. There's three umpires. The first umpire would be like the, the one from a, a Christian view of the world. And that umpire says, I call them like they are. There's balls and there's strikes. They're clearly defined. And so I call them just like they are. The second umpire says, no, 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 that's, that's not how it goes. No, I call them like I see them. Yeah, they come over the plate and then, and then I make a judgment of what's going on. And when you're behind the plate, you may, you may call them differently, but I, I call them like I see them. In other words, you know, I have my truth, you have your truth. And at the end of the day, the, all those truths, they just kind of end up in the same place. A third umpire says, no, 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 no. They ain't nothing until I call them. It's not a ball. It's not a strike. It doesn't exist until I decide what it is. In other words, there are no absolute moral truths. There is no absolute moral ruler. Everything is defined by what we say something is. Listen, we live in a day and age where there are a lot of pretend truths And there are a lot of pretend gods. And and most people define life and define truth by this. It's whatever I say it is. I make the calls on my life. I make the calls about what truth is. Listen, I cannot force you to believe in the one who is known as the Lord. Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord of hosts, the the God of Israel. I, I can't force you to believe in him. But what I can do is is graciously and clearly and firmly affirm that your life is not a game. And that the Lord God of Israel has clearly defined the balls and strikes of eternity. And there is no way around how he has made those calls. You must deal with them as he's called them. And that God is the main subject of Psalm 23. The true creator, infinite God is the main subject. The main subject is the Lord. So, what does King David say about the Lord? Look what he writes next. The next word is, the Lord is. The Lord is. God wanted to make sure we knew who He was. So through creation, and really most specifically through the Scriptures, He has given us very concrete descriptions of who He is. When we look in the pages of God's Word, we see that He is beautiful and excellent. We see that He is immortal and invisible. That He is almighty. We see that He is unchanging and He is unchangeable. That He is self-existent and He is self-sustaining. That He is everlasting. That He is infinite. That he's the first and the last and the beginning and the end and the alpha and the omega and all sorts of other things. And then on that same day when Moses was looking at that bush, God said he was this. He said, I am who I am. What in the world does that mean? So thankful for my friend Jim Albright because he helps us. I am all glory, all splendor. All beauty, all holiness, all righteousness, all genius, all power, all knowledge, all fullness, all excellence, all perfection, all goodness, all passion, all love, all happiness, all joy, all exuberance, all life, all God. I am all you want, all you need, all you desire forever. I am who will fill your heart, your soul, your mind, your imagination to overflowing for a billion eternities. I am the one who will take your breath away for unnumbered eons. That's the only way God defines himself. So, if you don't have the I am in your definition of God, your God is small. And if you don't have the I am in your definition of God, you may not know God because He is the I am. I am who I am. David says that's who the Lord is. But He doesn't just exist. He's not just the I am. David said he's something very strategic and, and very specific. And what is that? Well, to answer that question, we're going to skip over a word. We'll come back to it. But look at the last word in this phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. In the weeks to come, we're going to be looking a lot at the, the relationship between a sheep and their shepherd and, and kind of defining that and unpacking that a lot. So this morning, let me just kind of toss out some, some thoughts, some, some quick pictures of the sheep and the shepherd. So what is a shepherd? Well, a shepherd's an owner, a boss, a leader, a helper, a parent, a teacher, a doctor, a protector, a companion, and a lot of other things all wrapped up into one person. <laughs> it's really an amazing position when you think about it. And so often when we see pictures of shepherds, they're, they're kind of look like casual tour guides, right? I mean, they've got the You know, the nice, you know, tan toga on, and and they have a big cane that's kind of taller than they are, and and they just look like kind of nice little sweet guys. But if we look at the history of a shepherd from the times of Jesus, from the times of the Bible, we we would find a whole other picture. I love this description from 1867, describing the biblical shepherds. They were more like warriors marching to the battlefield, a long gun slung from the shoulder, a dagger and heavy pistols in the belt, a light battle axe or iron-headed club in the hand. Such were the equipments. And their fierce, flashing eyes and scowling countenances showed but too plainly that they were prepared to use their weapons at any moment. Shepherds were tough dudes. They were rough and tough. They were bad. And why? Because they had sheep. <laughs> they, they had to be tough. They had to be rough because they had sheep. They had to be what they were because of the sheep. So, what are sheep? I was reading this week about a guy who had to raise uh, a herd of sheep and a herd of goats when he was in high school. Okay. Herd of sheep and a herd of goats when he was in high school, part of the 4-H club. And, and this was part of the, what he did in high school. And this was his description. Uh, David Roper says this. Goats, I can abide, because they may be obnoxious, but at least they're smart. Sheep are beyond question the most stupid animals on the face of the earth. They are dumb, and they are dirty, and they are timid, and they are defenseless, and they are helpless. Mine were always getting lost and hurt and snake-bitten. They literally do not know enough to come in out of the rain. I look back on my shepherd in days with a great deal of disgust. Sheep are miserable creatures. (laughs) Bless his heart. What a high school time, right? Here's what hurts, though. If you're a Christian, the Bible calls you sheep. (laughs) Ouch, right? (laughs) Not really the title that we wanted. David Roper goes on to say a word about that. That hurts my feelings. But if I'm really honest with myself, I know it's true. I know that I lack wisdom and strength. I'm inclined to be self-destructive. As the song says, I'm prone to wander. I know my tendency towards self-indulgent individualism, going my own way and doing my own thing. That's me. I'm a sheep. And if Jesus Christ is to be my shepherd, I have to admit that I need one. It is difficult, but that is where we must start. That's where King David starts his song, right? You see, in order for those five words to have the impact and influence on your life that they really can, it requires that you, just like one of the greatest kings that ever lived, are willing to say, I am a sheep and I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. And not just a shepherd, I need the shepherd. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 10. I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm the Good Shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Do you know the Good Shepherd? Not do you know about him, do you know him? When the terrific moments in life come, when the terrible moments in life come, when the tragic moments in life come, do you know the good shepherd? Do you know Jesus? Not perfectly, but but are you fighting to keep believing in and clinging to and, and relying on and trusting in Jesus? Are you fighting that fight? In Psalm 22, the psalm right before this, David writes some prophetic pictures about Jesus dying on the cross. And so for us, by God's sovereign design, when we read Psalm 23, after we read Psalm 22, we have a whole other picture. Psalm 23 becomes this great gospel affirmation of what's in Psalm 22. In other words, we're not just reading about a promise that was made that there would be a good shepherd. We are reading that that promise was kept. That God kept his promise of sending us the good and perfect shepherd that would lay down his life to save us. Do you know that shepherd? Jesus is the good shepherd who ultimately and perfectly and eternally lay down his life to save the sheep. Are you part of his flock? If you're not, then we would plead with you to run to his door to be rescued, to be saved, to find life, to find hope, to find eternal joy and satisfaction. But if you've already run to the door, if if you are part of his flock, then let us live as if he is our shepherd. Live like he is your shepherd. And don't miss that pronoun, your. Because David did not miss the pronoun. Let's go back to that two-letter word we skipped over. The Lord is my shepherd. This is one of the few times in life that the pastor can honestly tell you it's holy and just and right for you to shout, Mine! This is one of those times. You can shout, Mine! On this one. The picture we have here is that the Lord is my shepherd. Not just in general. He's, He's my shepherd. So thankful for Charles Spurgeon for so many reasons, but but this quote has lingered and marinated in my mind for two weeks. The sweetest word of the whole is that monosyllable, my. He does not say the Lord is the shepherd of the world at large and leadeth forth the multitude at his flock, but the Lord is my shepherd. Don't miss this part. If he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me, watches over me, and preserves me. On December tenth, 1941, five Japanese torpedoes struck the HMS Repulse, a British battle cruiser. This was just three days, of course, after the attacks at Pearl Harbor. On the repulse was a 19-year-old sailor named Maurice Pink. He was below deck when the torpedoes hit, and and the explosion threw debris in in front of the, the exit door immediately where he was, and he found himself trapped. The captain came over, the loudspeaker, and he said, All hands on deck, prepare to abandon ship. God be with you. Through the help of some other sailors, he found another way out, was able to escape, and within seconds jumped into the South China Sea with no life vest. And he had to swim fast away from the boat because if he stayed too close, the the vortex that was taking the boat down would would pull him down with it. So he had to swim fast and away, but he couldn't swim too far because if he went too far, Then he'd be out of the oil-slicked waters that would protect him from all of the sharks in the South China Sea. His arms and his legs were treading water, but his heart and his mind were drowning in panic and in fear. Maurice was a senior adult when he shared his story. He was about 90 years old, and he was talking to a pastor from Nashville named Robert Morgan. I think this was probably about five or six years ago. And he asked him, he said, would you like for me to read to you what I wrote down about my experience? And he pulled out a piece of paper, and this is what he read. There are times in your life when things don't go right and you feel all alone. That happened to me on December 10th, 1941. We were attacked by the Japanese Air Force. I found myself alone in the water, not able to see anyone else. It was then that the 23rd Psalm came into my head, and I realized I was not alone. I had a shepherd. The Lord was my shepherd. I did not need to want. I was not in green pastures, but in oily waters. But he restored my soul. Even though I was walking in the shadow of death, I was to fear no evil, for he was with me. The rod and the staff did not ring a bell with me until voices above me were shouting. Looking up, there was a big destroyer that had come alongside me. And with nets over the side, it allowed me to climb up to safety. That was my rod and my staff. I didn't have a table set before me, but I did get a cup of the ship's cocoa. Since that day, again, what I love is at 90, he's stopping. He's looking back. Since that day goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life and when i think back to that day i wonder what would have happened if i had died there again the psalm had the answer i would dwell in the house of the lord forever now someone might say those are those are sweet noble words from an old man that frowned a a great rabbit's foot for a difficult moment in life to, to help him through. But I would graciously say no. Those are words of eternal promise for a man who when death stared him in the face knew he was not alone. He was not alone. If he be a shepherd to me, if he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. If he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. Is the Lord your shepherd? If not, then Jesus says you are not his own. Jesus says you are alone in your sin without hope in this world. So we would plead with you to to run to his door and be saved. But if the Lord is your shepherd, then no matter what it is that you're in the middle of right now, and some of you are in the middle of big stuff, no matter what you're in right now, you are not alone. The good shepherd has laid down his life, bore your sin, bore your shame, he has bought you. He has purchased you. You are His. You are not alone. The Lord is your shepherd. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to own these truths? We will be so tempted even when we leave today, to forget that you are the I am. So would you help us not forget? Would you strengthen our minds and our hearts and our spirits to know that these things about you are true, that you have proven yourself over and over and over. We have no reason to doubt you. And when that moment comes this week, when the car breaks down, when the argument happens with the spouse, when the kids are disobedient and rebellious, when the doctor gives bad news, when there's an awful report on the news. God, when all of those moments happen and they happen, we can't avoid them. When they happen, would You help us to remember that You are the I Am, that You are our Shepherd, And that in your kindness and your grace you have sent your Son to lay down His life for us. And if that is true, then in Him we have everything we need. But we don't believe that. We don't. So help us believe. Increase our faith. Increase our joy. Increase our confidence. And the good shepherd. Because he loves us. And he gave himself for us. We ask these things in his name. Amen.